0: And uh, I'm excited to take a few moments and share the word with you today on the subject of a church united. A church united is the subject of our message this morning. It's hard to believe, uh, but we just completed, of course. uh, Last Sunday was our ninth anniversary as a church. And so today is our first Sunday of our 10th year, if you can believe it. Okay, that's that makes us all feel a little bit old, especially if you've been here for a little bit longer. Uh, it feels a little bit old, but this is the first Sunday of our 10th year together as a church family. And, and I'm ex- really excited, of course, about what God has been doing, uh, how God has stepped in. He has provided for us. He's, he's shown himself so real to us. Uh, but this morning, we're kind of in between series. We just finished up the series on David. We'll be kicking off a new series here in a few weeks. We're kind of in between series a little bit. Uh, and uh, next Sunday, we actually have a guest speaker. Uh, one of our missionaries uh, to Southeast Asia is going to be speaking to us. I'm really excited for you to hear them. I uh, hear from him as they're on their way back to uh, the mission field. Um, but for today, I wanted to take just a few moments and talk about this very important subject of unity within the local church. I believe it's an imperative subject for all of us, but particularly it is imperative for a church family that is right now walking through and has come through a very unique season of transition haven't we uh, i would say an unexpected season of transition if uh, if we'd be honest about it and uh, we've experienced a lot of transition in just the last Month and while we understand this, and, and I hope that you have heard this before. If, if not, you're in here today for the first time. But a growing church is always in transition. How many of you heard that before? That's a great phrase. Okay, a growing church is always in transition. There's always things that are going to be happening. Um, and while we understand that, at the same time, whenever there is change, whenever there is transition within a body of believers, there is always a uh, temptation or an opportunity for us to lose focus. There's an opportunity for us to let down even our spiritual guard. I know in my own life, uh, often in times of transition and, and change, I find that uh, the enemy works a little bit over time, <laughs> and he comes along and he does what he can to drive a wedge of sin into my heart, a wedge of discouragement, a, a wedge of, of disunity, even maybe within my own family, within my own heart, that comes often in these seasons of change, in these seasons of transition, Peter so eloquently put it uh, in his book that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring what? What's the animal he uses? A lion. And that lion is out there and he is walking about. He's seeking uh, who it is that he can overcome and uh, who he can devour. And so this morning as we come to our time in the Word, I think it would be fitting for uh, us to take this Sunday, this first Sunday in our 10th year, to speak on the subject of unity. I believe it's an important subject for any church that has just recently gone through a time of transition. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the local church is a place where personal unity, as well as corporate uh, uni- unity, is a focus that we must determine to strive for at all costs. It is something that we as followers of Jesus Christ recognize. Unity as a gift that's given to us by God. And it is something that we would strive for and work for in order to see it manifested within our congregation. See, God desires that Christians would get together, and not only that we would get along, but he also desires that we would find strength and purpose in the unified relationship that we have because of Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself was very clear in John chapter 13, verse 35, where he tells us that one of the ways that people will know that we are his disciples is in the fact that we have love one towards another. Many of you know this verse, and you've heard us quote it and say it many times, but one of the distinguishing attributes or character traits of a follower of Jesus Christ and, and by, uh, by understanding a congregation of followers of Jesus Christ is that there would be a uniqueness, there would be a special aspect, there'd be a, a, something that is distinguishable in the love that we have towards each other. Now think about it. Jesus made this statement during the Last Supper to his disciples. In just a few hours, these followers of his that had been with him for the last three and a half years of his ministry, uh, these followers would uh, see him die on a cross. In just a few months' time from this statement being made, they would see him ascend up into heaven and look at one another and be like, now what? What? <laughs> And so Jesus is establishing a very important character trait within his followers. And then, of course, the church that was to come, and that we are to have a spirit of love and of unity uh, with other believers. And so for us as a local church, one of the most obvious ways we can show Christ and show uh, what God is doing here is, is different than what's happening out there is in our love towards another. And that, of course, is reflected in the unity that we have. When we become a Christian... God desires for us to be unified personally with one another's believers, but also God's desire. If we took a look at scripture, we know that we are, God's desire for us is that we become a part of a church, right? And God wants us to be a part of a local church and a local congregation that is in unity together. God wants us to be a unifying presence within the church body. Now, many of you know that uh, I was very blessed uh, growing up to play team sports all throughout my life growing up and even into uh, college as well. And uh, when I was in college, uh, I played at two different schools. I went to one school. It's called Pensacola Christian College in Florida. And I went there for two years. uh, And I went there to pursue a different degree other than ministry. But one of the great things about it is that I met my wife, Jeanette, there. Right, so come on, it's totally worth it, right? It's all worth it. And so I went there, I met her, and then I transferred to another school called West Coast Baptist College, which is in California. Now, both of these schools have uh, university basketball teams. And so I I walked on, I tried out, I didn't have a scholarship or anything, I just walked on, I think with about 100 other guys, and and I just intimidated all of them until they quit, and no, I'm joking. And uh, I worked as hard as I could, and I think they took two or three of those walk-ons, and I was blessed to be a part of that and to play. And I got to have some really good experiences, Pensacola. Uh, Man, it was fantastic there. Uh, I even brought some pictures. Is that okay? All right. This is cool, right? You can see me. Let's see. Look at that right there at the top uh, Pensacola was a pretty cool school. They had, um, man, an awesome gym. I think it sat around 4,000 and we'd pack it out for every game. And it was just super cool. Kind of got that college basketball experience, you know, after a big win, you know, everybody come running in and pile and you're like, all you're thinking is don't get injured, don't get injured, don't get injured. And everyone's in there. And, and, uh, man, it was, it was an awesome experience. It it really was. And we had a really good team. And beyond that, we had really tall players. Now I know for many of you, you say, oh, pastor, you're so tall. Uh Uh-uh. Our center on that team was six foot 10. And uh, I'm not anywhere close to that. And our power forward was six foot eight. We had a couple of guys, six foot seven. And then I'm six foot four, which in these boots, I'm six foot five, Jeanette. Um, but it, I'm six foot four. And she always makes fun of me because I say six foot five. I'm six foot four in all reality. Um, and, uh, and so I played small forward. So I wasn't even one of the biggest guys. I played small forward, and that was tons of fun to have other guys that were way bigger than me in there banging for rebounds. I could play a little bit of a different style of game, and I, I just really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Now, as a freshman and a sophomore, I, I, uh, I was working hard and learning and growing, and it was, it was a lot of fun to play there. But we never had a lot of success, to be honest. We didn't have a lot of success. Uh, We played in the uh, NCCAA, that's the National Christian College Athletic Association, and we were D1, baby, all the way, right? And, uh, and then we played uh, in like non-conference, uh, like NCAA, we played like Division three, Division two. Occasionally we played non-conference games, D1, and I just want to let you know, we always got smoked every single time. Uh, it, was, it was embarrassing. So uh, they would destroy us. But it was still, it was very competitive basketball compared to John Oliver Jokers over here at 41st and Fraser. okay? So it was definitely competitive compared to that. And it was a total different vibe. But we didn't have a lot of success. We struggled, although that was a big win, you can tell, uh, that one. game, and I was on the floor for that, so I like to feel like I had a part in that. But anyway, we didn't have a lot of success, but then I transferred to a school called West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California, a much smaller school. Instead of 4,000, 5,000 students, I think it was, at the time, 600 students. That's a big change. Now, just so you know, I didn't go there to play basketball. It wasn't like they sniped me and they're like, hey, you know, you need to come over here. Nothing like that. I went there for ministry. It was more of a ministry focused school. And so I went to West Coast and uh, I really enjoyed my time there. But guess what? Now I was one of the tallest guys on the team. So I went from being uh, kind of the middle. So now, and they're like, oh, you're playing center because you're one of the tallest guys. And I was like, it's being back. It's like being back here in Vancouver. I was the tallest guy always, you know? And so I played center. And, uh, and we had some really good players. We had some guys that had played at some like D1 schools and had transferred in for ministry and, you know, wanted to be in ministry. And so we had some really good players. But the, the main difference, the main difference, oh, I wanted to show you this because this is awesome. It was me and my lady. <laughs> yes, I used to not have a beard. I wasn't born with this. Yeah. Uh, it was just after a game. I look a little sweaty. I know. Um, but here's the big difference. We went, I went, when I went there, much smaller school, we had a terrible gym. I mean, we'd pack it out and everything, but it was just a terrible gym. But we had a lot of success when I played at, at, at that school. We, uh, we won our conference. We, uh, we knocked out some bigger schools in Southern California in, in higher levels of, of division two basketball, which is a, you know, big wins for us. We went to nationals um, and, uh, and did pretty well. But we, play, we, we just had a great season. I don't know, for the two years I was there, it was really, it was, it was fantastic. And, and one of the things that I would often wonder to myself is like, what is the difference? We were way shorter. Um, I don't think we were better coached necessarily, but there was something that was extremely different between the two schools, and that was this. We had unity. We, we actually cared about each other. At the other school, you know, I, I rarely saw my teammates. At West Coast, I feel like it's all I ever hung out with was those guys, you know? We would go and do ministry together. We prayed together before practices and games. We spent a lot of time personally together, and when we came out on the floor, we were unified in our purpose and our focus, and we actually cared about each other. At the other school, full disclosure, we used to have fist fights in practice. Oh, for real, yeah, Christian college. I mean, we just, we throw it because, uh, you know, anyway. (laughs) Unity, right? And, uh, and it was just a totally different, totally different vibe. We were competitive, but there was unity. And, and what came out of that is that we were successful then as a team. So I share that story with you, and you probably some of you have maybe heard that analogy before. But unity is critical to the success of any group of people, isn't it? Unity is so critical. And I believe it is especially critical within the effectiveness of the local church and the ministry that God has called us to now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote extensively about, the, about unity in his letter to the Ephesians and as we're going to come to in a moment, the book of Philippians. And what you can't help notice about Paul is that as he writes about these churches, he finds moments to highlight their unity and their love for one another. One example of that is in Ephesians chapter 1, at the beginning of his book, of his letter there in verse 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So he's writing a greeting to this church. And one of the things that he highlights right at the very beginning is that he says, listen, I've heard of your faith, which is great. Any church should have faith. But he says, I also heard of your love unto all the saints. Now in scripture, when you see the word saint, it means a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, And you're either a saint or you ain't. That's right, okay? And so a saint is someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and so what Paul is saying here is that I'm very thankful for you as a church that you have a love for other believers. He was thankful that there was a unique love that was being showed between the believers. So why would Paul bring that up? Well, the reason is because the demonstration of love between a church and within a church body is a critical presence uh, because it brings about unity that then leads to something even better. Later on, Paul emphasized it in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3. He's writing again. He says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you. That means I implore you, please. He says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Walk worthy of the calling that you have. And then he says, how we're to do it with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And then he says this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word there, endeavoring, means is, is an action word. It means that all of us as followers of Jesus are to be endeavoring, are to be pursuing unity, and he gives us the qualifier in the spirit. Now, we're going to talk about that here in a moment in the message, a little bit later in the message. But what I want us to understand here is that we are to be, we have a personal responsibility as individuals to be a source of unity, to be a catalyst of unity within the body of believers. You're to love your fellow uh, followers of Jesus Christ and your fellow church members unconditionally. And while this is not, uh, unity does not mean uniformity. I think I've I've said that many times before. Remember that. This doesn't mean that we're all the same in everything. There's a lot of differences, and we're not going to agree with everyone on everything. But the point is, is that there is something that is unifying for all of us. And we must be willing to pursue that, to enable that, to, as we talked about on Wednesday night, being a peacemaker, being a creator of peace, being a creator of unity within the local church that God has given to us. Colossians tells us the attitude by which we approach this, where he says, above all, put on charity, that is love, that's a deep love, which is the bond of perfectness. This means, Paul says, above all, meaning above everything else that he's said so far in Colossians, he says you need to put on love and then he talks about perfectness, which is completeness. So he's talking about that there's a unity within the body that brings about, uh, there's a love that is showed to each other that brings about a unity, a completeness that we should desire and we should give ourselves to. So the question this morning is, how do we do that, right? You say, that sounds great, pastor. Maybe some of you have never experienced this kind of unity before. Some of you I know come from different church backgrounds and maybe you've never experienced a church where there was genuine unity. There was always, seems that there was always strife. There was always a difficulty. There was always somebody trying to get control or change something or whatever. And there was not a unified uh, a, a purpose. There wasn't a unified goal. There wasn't even, sometimes didn't even feel like there was love within the church. So the question is, is how do we see this through? What steps does scripture give us to pursue unity? I hope you understand this. We need to be unified as a church don't we? Okay, somebody said amen. That's good. We do. We need it. We need it. So much of our life is broken and shattered. I don't know how, maybe, maybe some of you could say, oh, at my work, we are unified. <laughs> but I know for a lot of you, <laughs> no, that's not something we've experienced. But the local church should be that place, that place of unity. Listen, I know this is a really simple message today, a really simple thought. But it's, it's important and imperative for us to be reminded of these thoughts constantly. So how do we do this? How do we become a church? Or what markers should we look towards to be a church of unity? Let's turn over to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 today, and I want to show this verse to you. It's a familiar verse, but within it we find the answer. The answer to unity within a body of believers is seen in Philippians chapter 1. In verse number 27, it says this, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. I want to just stop there for a moment. Conversation, it is our lifestyle, not just you talking, it is your lifestyle. So let your life, your, the way you live your life, let the way you live your life represent the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And here's the key phrases for us this morning, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, Paul is writing this from prison. This is one of the prison epistles, and he is writing from a place where he thought that he may never see his friends in Philippi again. It was one of the first churches that was established there uh, in those Roman-occupied areas, and it was something that Paul, of course, had poured his life into. But now he's writing to them, afraid that he's never going to see him again. And so part of what he says to these people that he, that he thought he'd never see is that he urged them to live a life that was worthy of the gospel, a life that is distinctive because of the grace of God that was given to them. And this is still our calling today, that we be a people that are distinct, that there's something unique about us. But here, as Paul encourages them about gospel living, he emphasizes one way specifically that they can live it out, and that is in a unifying presence, A unity with one another within the church. And this is the verse we're going to focus on. There's three thoughts very quickly I want to share with you this morning. Number one, there needs to be unity in our spirit. If you're writing notes, write that down. There needs to be unity in our spirit. What are the markers of unity within a local church? Unity in our spirit. Notice there in the verse, he says that you should stand fast in one spirit. What this means simply is that for there to be true unity... If unity is going to be prevalent and it's going to be available for a local church, then the members of the church must be born again by the Spirit of God. And you say that's sound of a weird thing to say on a Sunday morning. Uh, but we need to remind ourselves, this is a body of people that are born again by the Spirit of God. And that each of us, each of us, if you know the Lord today, if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God. You say, why is this so important when it comes to unity? The reason is, is because you are looking at, you are dealing with, you are talking to, you are serving with someone who bears the presence of God within them. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? And we look at one another and all we see is (laughs) false. All we see is what we don't like or what we do like or what we wish is part of our life or what we want to avoid. And we forget that if you're a follower of Christ, then you have the spirit of God, meaning I'm dealing with somebody that bears the image and presence of God. That, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, isn't it? Because what it means is that we're not, we're not up here saying like, oh yeah, like all these people from different backgrounds and different countries and different, uh, you know, past and we're all unified together. Yes, we are unified together. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But we have to remember what it is that unifies us. And it is the spirit. It's not like that we all live in this neighborhood or that we all you know, live, live uh, in a certain area or we all like basketball. or I, It's nothing like that. It's the spirit of God that dwells within us, that brings us, that, that leads us. Some of you who are sitting here this morning, two years ago, you would have never thought in your wildest dreams you'd be sitting in a church. <laughs> you never thought. You hated Christians. But yet God in his, uh, in his power and his mercy and his grace to you extended to you salvation you heard and you received and you're here today how amazing is that it's amazing and so you bear the image of God you have the spirit of God within you and so it is the Holy Spirit then we have to realize is the uniter that brings us and makes us individuals and brings us together into a spiritual group. It is the Holy Spirit's work as guide, as corrector, and as comforter that can help us to stand side by side and overcome those matters of preference that maybe we have from our past or how we grew up and, and uh, or, or things that we think. And we can overcome those matters of preference in order to join together for the purpose of reaching and telling others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this idea of being together in one spirit or connecting with each other on the Holy Spirit level, I think you understand is not a natural tendency for us, is it? It's not natural. It's something that we have to work at, meaning we have to lay aside the works of the flesh. We have to lay aside the desires of the heart in order that the spirit would work within us unity. Unity. And so there is, and there will be times when you need to lay aside Personal preference for the sake of unity as a church. Now we live in a day where everything is so preferential, isn't it? I I can I can tailor fit almost anything in my life for me, right? These these boots that I'm wearing today that give me an extra inch of height. (laughs) They're custom fit boots. I went into a store. And they took photos of my feet <laughs> and they took measurements of my feet and they did all this. And then like three months later, finally, I got this pair of boots and I put them on and guess what? They fit me. It was awesome. I was a little worried, but they did. They fit me perfectly. And then they started causing blisters and I had to break them in and now they fit me really good. But I think you understand what I'm saying. There's so many aspects from our shoes to our computers, to our vehicles. Everything is about customization for me and for my wants. But church is not that way. Church is not that way. And so there may be times where there's elements of the church or maybe outreaches or music or different things that you're like, I don't know if I really, it's maybe not your preference, but for the sake of unity, we're willing to lay it aside so that we can be unified around the gospel message and our purpose. Does that make sense? Imagine if all of you, if I said, hey, let's take a survey and I want all of you to tell me what you want for church tomorrow or next week, not tomorrow. You're like, I'm not coming tomorrow. Okay, next week, next Sunday. Everybody write down exactly what songs you want. Uh, tell me what you want me to preach. Tell me what you want me to wear. Tell me what you want everybody else to wear. Like, tell me all of those things. It'd be a bit chaotic, don't you think, if we try to, to meet all of that? And so what do we do? We trust that God has established something. We trust the leadership that God has put in place and we've affirmed as a church family. And we move forward. And we're willing to lay aside some things in order for the sake of the gospel and realizing that God has called us here. This is a really important character trait, because so often our preferences become so strong that we're unwilling to even work with another person that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and, and we'll get angry at them, and we'll talk about them, and we'll gossip about them, and we'll slander them, because our preference isn't being met. Now, some of you right now are like, oh man, what's going on in the church? <laughs> nothing. Honestly, nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I just want you to know, if you're new to City Baptist, I'm not a reactionary preacher. Does that make sense? So what I say in the pulpit is not connected to what I did in counseling this week, all right? <laughs> you're like, you're in counseling? No, when I counsel other people, you know. <laughs> I need counseling, I think so. Some of you can help me out with that. This is not a reactionary message at all. This is just something that I've been thinking about for the last month as we've gone through transition and as a church, how do we come through this with joy? How do we come through all this transition with the right spirit? and unified around a singular purpose. So the spirit is very, very important, okay? But let's, uh, let's, let's move on, because I kind of went on a tangent there, all right? Let's move on. Um, oh, oh, I love this verse. Let's, just, let's, let's look at this. This is important. First Peter, uh, Peter said this, and you have to remember, Peter was an aggressive guy, wasn't he? Peter was somebody who had a lot of conflict in his life. And yet later on, as he wrote the book of 1 Peter, he said, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, So you obey the truth. The spirit does its work in you. And then it says what? Unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Do you know what that means? Genuine. It's not fake. You're not like, I love you, brother. <laughs> and inside you're like, what a jerk. No, it's real. It's genuine. And he says the spirit is the one that does that work. So we need to be unified in our spirit. We also need to be unified in our mind. Look back at the verse there. He says, uh, I may, he says, I want to hear about what's going on, and this is what I want to hear, that you're standing fast in one spirit and with one mind, one mind. Now, growing up, my family was into Star Trek. It's kind of weird. My dad was a pastor. We didn't watch TV, you know what I'm saying? We didn't watch movies. Like It was very, very controlled as to what we watched, but for whatever reason, my dad loved Star Trek. And he was a Trekkie. You know what I'm talking about? Now we didn't go to conventions and things like that, but Saturday night, I think it was on ABC or whatever it was, we would watch Star Trek on Saturday night together as a family. And so I grew up with that and, and, uh, and, and, and so I under, you know, I understand all that. Some of you, we can talk about it later on if you want to talk about, uh, maybe some of you speak Klingon as well and we can talk about it. Um, but one of my favorites, uh, were the Vulcans. And uh, if you don't know anything about it, it's totally okay. Uh, the Vulcans were this alien species of people that could use their uh, minds in incredible ways. And one of the ways that they could use their mind was what was called the Vulcan mind meld. Anybody remember what that is? Maybe this will spark your memory, you know. And here's Spock, you know. Uh, and, and they could, they could. and I'll give you the official definition from the Star Trek website, all right? A Vulcan mind meld is a telepathic link between two individuals. It allows an intimate exchange of thoughts, thus in essence enabling the participants to become one mind. There it is, right? They can become one mind, they can share consciousness. Now, I think it'd be awesome if we could do a church mind meld right now, don't you think? All right, everybody lean forward in your seats. No, okay, don't. (laughs) Some of you are like, what is happening today? This is the weirdest, this is the weirdest message ever. Here's what I'm trying to get. They were able to create a, a singular mind between multiple people, meaning they had the same focus, the same focus, right? Now, that's, that's what I'm trying to illustrate should be a part. And this is what Paul is saying here. Now, he wasn't thinking about Vulcans and Star Trek, but he's saying you need to be of one mind. There needs to be a, a unity with our mindset. There needs to be a unity in the vision and the focus of our church. Today, we'd use the expression, everybody needs to be on the same page. Meaning we all understand what it is that God has called us to and God is, is leading us to. And that's why it's so key for us as members and part of this body. It's so important for us to know what the vision and the goal and the purpose of the local church is. Oftentimes when people uh, come to me and they say, you know, we'd like to join City Baptist Church as covenant members, I say, that's great. But I, and I tell them this, I, and I'm not being mean, but I say, I want you to understand that you are joining us. We're not joining you. Does that make sense? And that means that they, and and they understand that, the the understanding is that they're joining and being a part of us, what God has already established, what God has built these last nine years, and they want to be a part of having that same mindset and going in the same direction and seeing God continue to work like he has been doing so far. A difference-making church is not a hundred different people with different purposes and opinions. It's gifted, it's unique individuals that God has placed here in the body. Some of you are so gifted in so many unique ways, but yet we're all able to come together with the same purpose and vision and go in the same direction because we have this one mind. If you remember Jesus in his prayer about the the, about his followers, he said to God, He said, My prayer is that they would all be one. The idea that we would come together, that it'd be, be a uniqueness and a unity around our mind. And so we must recognize that we need to come together in this way. And I know, listen, many of you are very new to the church. Many of you have been to the church less than a year, less than a year and a half for sure. And you're like, well, what is this all about? Can I encourage you to to ask to find out? Now, part of that is in the membership process where you kind of learn about the vision and the history of the church and and what it is that God is leading us to do. And if you're new, I would say, and you're not a member and you want to join, man, it'd be great to, to take those next steps. And, and learn what it means to be a member of City Baptist and be committed and be unified together. But we do have a purpose. We have a vision. And, and it's great to get a, be a part of that and have that mindset. I've had people come before. I remember in the, when we first started the church, uh, I'm getting uh, all uh, uh, sentimental right now. So stay with me. Uh, when we first started the church, um, I remember there was, there was a lot of people that came because we were just getting started. There was like only a handful of us. And, uh, and there were a lot of people who came and they stayed for a while. And the purpose and the reason they came was to make the church in their image. Does that make sense? To make the church what they wanted it to be. I remember having this conversation with a couple that came and they were getting involved and I was really excited about it. And then all of a sudden they just left and, I, and they like ghosted me. And I was like, what happened? You know, so I emailed them, I called them. A few weeks later, I get this email and this is what the email said. We thought you would change to what you, we wanted you to be meaning the church, not just me, but the church. And what did they do? They revealed that they weren't in church to be unified. They're in church to make it what they wanted it to be. And, uh, and so when it, when it didn't happen, they moved on. My point being is that we're to be of one mind together, going in the same direction. We're to have that one mind. There's one last thought in this passage, though, that I want to point out to us, and that is unity in our purpose. Okay, so there's unity in our um, spirit, There's unity in our mind. And then lastly, there's unity in our purpose. Unity in our purpose. Look again with me at verse number uh, 27 in Philippians chapter 1. He says, That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, and here it is, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, do not mistake strive with strife. Sometimes people see that and they're like, Yeah, fight. No, that's not what it means. Strive is a unique word. It means to agonize. It means to exert yourself, to strain, to push forward, to expend energy and effort in order to accomplish a goal or to fulfill a dream. I feel like this is sometimes a lost characteristic these days, this idea of striving for something, of trying to pursue something, of seeing something accomplished for the gospel. And as a local church, this is what we're to be doing. He says we are to be striving together, exerting ourselves, but not alone We're to be exerting ourselves together. Why? For the faith of the gospel, for the gospel itself. We are to be striving uh, to expand the gospel, striving to share the gospel, striving to live out the gospel in our own lives. And it's a really important character trait to notice here because there is an effort, there is an exertion here. And and the reason this is so important to unity is because we are to be unified in our exertion for the gospel. Does that make sense? You know, church is not to be where 80% of the church stands around and watches 20% of the church exhaust themselves. That's not it at all. You know, people give the, the analogy of a football stadium, you know, where 60,000 people in need of exercise are watching, uh, you know, 22 men in desperate need of rest, you know, and all stand around watching him. That's not what it's to be. We are to be unified in our exertion, unified in our service together. And it's something that, that we can do. And the reason is because people's souls are in the balance. We are called to be a light in this city, aren't we? What a privilege it is for us as as believers to be following after God in this way. And we are privileged to know him and he's made a difference in our life. And we are to strive for that same gospel that saved us to share it with others. Remember, the local church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy teaches us. And though there are times that we take a stand and we strive on our own, God's perfect plan for us is that we be unified in our striving for the gospel. Together. Each of us striving together. One of the amazing things about playing on a sports team where everyone is unified is that I didn't have to wonder if another guy was trying his hardest. And I think that was a great thing. When those five starters, when we walked out on the floor, I knew that every single guy there was going to just lay it all on the line. I knew that we'd be diving on the floor. I knew we'd be running into people's elbows. I knew that there'd be all kinds of stuff going on because we were gonna play as hard as we could. And so do you know what I did? I didn't have to worry or try to police everybody else. Why? Because we were all unified and going in the same direction. I think you understand that. And that's what it is in the local church where we are together, we're striving together meaning our eyes are on Christ. We're focused in the right direction. We're all headed in one direction. And I know that you got my back. I know that you're beside me. I don't have to wonder like, oh, I wonder if they're with us. I wonder wonder if they're, no, we're striving together. And I got to tell you, that is an unstoppable force. That is an unstoppable force. When God's people get together and strive together, exert ourselves together for the gospel. You say, pastor, I'm tired. You're talking about exerting myself. Is there any higher calling than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there anything higher in this world that you can accomplish, that you can strive, that you can give yourself to? Is there anything more important than the gospel? Come on, somebody answer me. Is there? Some of you are like, I don't know, money? No. Okay. No. The gospel and what God has called us to do is the highest. And I would say this, if, if if your striving for the gospel is under a weight of 10 other things, then you're not truly striving together for the gospel. It should be at the, at the forefront. It should be primary in our hearts and our minds that we are stri- I'm striving for the gospel. That's what God has called us to That's what the local church is all about. And we must be unified in that. We must be unified in that. And, and what that means is that along the way, sometimes, sometimes people get upset about that. Why are you so focused on that? Why, why are you so focused on, you know, on the word and, and, and preaching the gospel? Because this is the highest thing that we could be called to. This is what God has called us to do. And so as a church, that's what we do. We, we give ourselves to that. We give ourselves to that. And there's a wonderful, wonderful blessing of being unified in that purpose. Remember, It's all about God's glory, it's not about ours. It's all about him. And I bring us back to John 13 where Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. As a church, our love is a reflection and it is the fuel for unity. It is the calling, it is the command that we love one another. And unity is a natural outflow out of that which allows us to strive together for the gospel's sake. And this is what God has called us to do. What a privilege that we have. You know, we're in a new neighborhood now, aren't we? We're in a new neighborhood. Things changed the last couple of weeks. We're in a new place. But what hasn't changed is our calling. What hasn't changed is God's call on us to be unified. And what definitely has not changed is the gospel message. And, and our calling as a local church to make that a priority. And what else hasn't changed is that there are people all around us that need the gospel. There are countless thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people within a 10-minute drive of us that need to hear the gospel. And so we have a great mission. We're not striving for a national championship. (laughs) We're striving for the glory of our God. And we can do that through being unified together as a church family. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. We want to be a church that is united, a church united. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you a unifying presence for this body of believers? Are you a unifying presence in this body of believers? We are to endeavor and we are to seek unity together as followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe it is that this, you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I've never experienced this. I don't know what this looks like. Can I encourage you today? Just just ask the Lord. We have a few moments here of prayer. Just say, Lord, can you give me an example? Can you give me a direction to follow when it comes to pursuing unity within the church? Maybe within your heart, there's an element of disunity, an element of division. Maybe you spend a lot of time comparing yourself with others, a lot of time maybe being critical or criticizing This is not to be in the body of Christ. And maybe you need to get that right today with your Lord. Maybe you need to get something right with someone else. But let's be purveyors of unity. Let's be people that are lifting up Christ and magnifying him through our love for one another and through our unity of purpose and mind and of spirit. I wanna give you just a few moments of prayer together Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for City Baptist. Let's pray that God would be glorified in us and that he would use us to make a genuine difference in this community and that we would come through this time of transition stronger than ever before, renewed in our passion and our unity and our desire to strive for the gospel in this community. Let's pray together.